I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic, Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman, and I'm joined today by an author who I've enjoyed for many, many years, and I'm so glad he's here today. Dan Sean is the author of several previous books, including Ill Will, a national bestseller, named one of the 10 best books of 2017 by Publishers Weekly. Other works include the short story collection Stay Awake, a finalist for the Story Prize, the national bestseller Await Your Reply, and Among the Missing, a finalist for the National Book Award. His latest novel is called Sleepwalk. Hi, Dan. Hey, how are you? Good. I'm so excited to talk to you. Yeah. Um, so, so I want to start out by asking you what you call the protagonist of Sleepwalk in your head. He has okay. many names. He has many names, and he, ca- he calls himself the Barely Blur. Mm-hmm. Um, and it changed over the course of the novel. Um, in the beginning, I also called him the Barely, barely Blur, and then I started calling him Will. And by the end, I, I'm calling him Billy in my head. Um, I guess that has to do with at, like getting closer to him as a person and then starting to feel a sort of like a, a paternal uh, sort of friendliness towards him. So that, you know, then I've got his like childhood nickname in my head. Um, but I think you can call him anything he wants. Okay. You want. <laughs> well, then for the sake of this interview, I'm going to call him Billy, too, because I feel very close to him as well. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> he, he's one of my favorite um, kinds of things to see in, in art and literature, which is the uh, hitman with a heart of gold, or at least a yeah. very developed moral code. Yeah. Tell me, yeah. Tell me um, I guess there's something about uh, the idea of somebody who's who's like living their life in a kind of in a kind of uh, sleepwalk, so to speak, mm-hmm. or you know, just it just like 
in in a kind of daze and that idea of somebody waking up and finding some kind of moral center is i'm a sucker for that i i mean there's it's a sentimental idea probably i mean i think most bad people don't wake up and <laughs> suddenly decide to become good people um but the idea has always it i mean really touched me and um also the i mean I, I'm, I'm a sucker for the kind of movies and books where um, a, a character uh, is in, ensconced in their ordinary life and has something that creates, uh, a, you know, an event that, that suddenly makes them have to make moral choices mm -hmm. and have to and, and, and sort of break out of the of the patterns that they're in. Yeah. And I mean, that's definitely what what I was going for in this book. I love that. And I love, I mean, Billy's sleepwalk that he's living in is a great defense mechanism. Right. Because the world around him is, is, is pretty awful. I mean, it ta this takes place in a slightly alternate America. Um, although as I was writing it, I mean, over the course of about three years, um, the real world inched closer to the mm -hmm. dystopia that I had originally imagined. And so I can't even really say that it's science fiction. It's just a little bit different than the U S is right now. It's really something I, I was thinking. Um, I assume you've seen footage of the NYPD drone dog. Yes. Yes. And it's so disconcerting. <laughs> There and you don't a, know whether to like try to pet them or run from them or what. <laughs> <laughs> and they're kind of cute, aren't they? There's, of course, you got the anthropomorphic thing going on. Right. There's a, 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 a new product out um, that's very similar to something that I invented. I, in, in, in the book, there's a, there's a kind of drone that flies and follows you around and takes pictures of you and posts them to social media. Turns out that that's an actual thing now. So, sure. um, of course, um, I thought it was a clever invention. I didn't patent it, though. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And, and then, of course, the the part of the thing that hurt the most is the idea that newspapers have disappeared. And we are certainly not far from there. No, I know. I know. Um, we were looking uh, in I, I was in the in the supermarket checkout line yesterday and um i picked up a copy of the new york times and i was just so surprised at how thin it is now mm. it's the sunday new york times and i remember you know like years ago you you'd pick it up and it was like a, a yule log you know it's, it was <laughs> huge and now it's just this little kind of slightly um withered twig mm. um and you know don't even talk about 
you know, like the Cleveland Plain Dealer, which <laughs> is, you know, kind of a flyer uh, now if, in its, in its uh, print form. It's, on, it's, it's gone completely online. Very few uh, full-time journalists working for the working for the paper anymore. Um, it's troubling, especially in a world where uh, corruption is so rampant. There's no, you know, the, there's no journalistic checks and balances on it, and that I feel is a big part of the reason that we're having so many debates about what's true and what isn't. Absolutely, and in, in the book, um, Billy. Uh, kind of tells us that you know everyone kind of pieces together different versions of reality right right and you have this really upsetting <laughs> paragraph in which in which he lists conspiracy oh. theories quote unquote yeah can i can i read that to you yes please all right this is after somebody tells him that uh they're worried about canadian terrorists <laughs> i nod thoughtfully I had not heard about our government's apparent anti-Canadianism, but I don't necessarily disbelieve what friend Dave is saying either. These, day, nearly, these days, nearly everyone you meet has patched together a different version of reality, depending on which news source and websites and YouTube influencers they've decided to trust. And so my policy is just to listen with an open ear, hoping that there might be some small kernel of truth at the core of what they've come to believe. We're all trying our best to make sense of things, We'd all prefer if the world would just be reasonable and logical, but it refuses. And so even the normally intelligent, such as my daughter, Cammie, even they espouse all kinds of unbelievable notions. After the newspaper started dying, a lot of the things we thought were accepted facts or shared truths, those started dying as well. And even the fundamentals of science and mathematics, even events that we had, had been filmed and corroborated by dozens of witnesses were open to question. Do you think the elementary school shootings in Connecticut were faked and the gr grieving parents are portrayed by crisis actors? Do you think the crown prince of Saudi Arabia is the leader of an international child sex and torture ring? Do you think that the government dropped cluster bombs containing a psychoactive incapacitating, incapacitating agent over protesters in Chicago after the last election? Do you believe that climate change will destroy the majority of human civilization within the next 12 years? Do you believe in the Holocaust? Well, if you don't, someone does. I mean, man. And it, after reading that, I was thinking like, yeah, of course we're all paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> um, I and it's, you know, I mean, none of that is, is even slightly fake. No. Um, um, but I do like how, how it relates to Billy in that he's had so many different identities that he's always kind of trying to figure out who he is. Like, I, I, I am always surprised that he remembers the name that uh, people are calling him. Yeah. Well, he has all these different phones and each, each one of them represents a different character uh, that he, that he's portraying um so he's got he's at least got the he's got the, the cue there um i don't i never really figured out like when he decides to switch and and why um it, it never really came up but um i feel like he's 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 gotten good at it over the years mm -hmm. and of course if you don't have a home 
as he doesn't. Right. Um, it, it becomes much easier to invent yourself along the way. Right. He lives in a, um, a, an RV that he calls the guiding star, um, which is a sort of tricked out, uh, um, trailer, um, that he drives around the country. Um, and I feel like he has a kind of Zen attitude about, about what identity is because mm -hmm. he's in, in some ways he's never had one. He's always, he, he grew up with a, with a, a mother who was a, a con person and uh, who was always changing their names and changing what their backstory was. So he came by, he, he came by it honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and how, helpful it is if you're trying if you increasingly live in a surveillance state which fantasy or reality that's that that's um something we can't argue with then then going off the grid is is increasingly difficult yeah yeah um i think one of the things that makes billy valuable to his employers is that um, he was raised as from from a child to be somebody that was off the grid. He was raised by by uh, sort of paranoid cultists who be, who believed that they needed to um, raise children that didn't have a birth certificate, didn't have a social security number, didn't you know, had never been online. All of these things, um, and so he's he's in some ways this this. Um, creature that's been created specifically to avoid the surveillance state. Yeah, um, he calls himself a blank Scrabble square um, <laughs> because uh, he's a he's he's a rarity uh, among us. Yeah, and his mother is such an interesting character. I love how Billy tries not to think about her. <laughs> well, I mean that that's 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 one of the. Uh, um, I guess withheld the pieces of withheld information that 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 that, that is pulled through the the novel is um, as as we go along, we we sort of find out more and more about Billy's relationship and about um, what happened to his mother. Yes. Um, and eventually, uh, we find out that there's a, a really good reason that he's not trying very hard not to think about her. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and again. What a great coping mechanism. Um, like he he t often talks about how um, not remembering is is such a good, helpful tool. Right. I mean, I, I, I was really trying to process um, something about the way that we're living now. I mean, which is, you know, um, by all rights, we should all be screaming and 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 weeping and 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 pulling out our hair, but we're not. And I kept thinking about that meme that that the famous meme that went around in in the early part of the Trump uh, administration, the where the where the dog is sitting in a coffee shop that's on fire, mm -hmm. uh, thinking this is fine. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's in some ways the you know the the mascot meme of this book. Um, and um, in some ways, it's about somebody waking up and uh realizing that the house is on fire yeah yeah and of course billy 
has a, a role in life as a scammer who was raised by scammers. And so, of course, he won't know who to trust. Right. Right. Um, that was, I guess, that was one of the most exciting things and one of the hardest things about writing this book was he's approached by a young woman early in the novel. He's approached by a young woman who claims to be um, his biological daughter. Um, and as the result of, uh, of a sperm donation that he made when he was, when he was young. Um, and a big part of it, uh, the, the middle part of the novel is this back and forth between the two of them uh, where she's trying to convince him that she's real. And that process of him sort of letting go of his scammer brain and deciding to accept the, the possibility of having uh, a connection and a kinship to somebody else. Um, it was, it was the, it was the thing, the thing that was the thing that was the thing that was the most, um, cause I had to really believe that it was possible that someone would be that foolish and would take that, that big of a risk. He learns what the word catfishing means in the, um, <laughs> in the course of this, which is probably very helpful, but I, I think you get into the idea of like, what does a connection look like if it's not in real life? Right. Right. And um, I guess the other the other thing that was that was really difficult um, from from a writerly perspective um, was that so much of the uh, of the relationship takes place on the phone and through social media um, in I mean, I think um, in the way that most of us lived for two years. Right. Mm -hmm. Most of our relationships yeah. took took place um, virtually or on the phone or on Zoom. And we didn't have a lot of contact with other people. And um, man, I, I can't help but wonder how much that affected our ability to trust. Now that we're back out in the world, we're, we're trying to go back out in the world. <laughs> it's so strange, you know, do you say hi to somebody at the supermarket? <laughs> we for, I, I, I have forgotten how to behave in public for sure. I know, I know. Um, that, I mean, and I guess that was another thing that wasn't entirely intentional when I, uh, when I started the book, but it just sort of, all this stuff kind of dovetailed with the writing of the book and, and, and in this weird kind of uncomfortably eerie way sometimes. It sounds like it. And, and of course, <laughs> during the pandemic, Dogs were rescued and adopted in um, increasing numbers, and we know why. Right. Tell me a little bit about Flip. Okay, so um, Billy's primary companion, uh, as he's driving around the country uh, doing various nefarious things, is a rescue dog, a, a pit bull named Flip that he saved from a, a dog fighting ring. Um, and uh, I had such a great time writing uh, a dog as a main character in this. Mm. Um, I, I myself have two dogs, uh, Ray Bradbury and Shirley Jackson are their names. Oh. Um, and I spent a lot of time uh, like Will uh, talking and uh, 
interacting with them and anthropomorphizing them um, and believing that, in fact, they are really special, um, highly intelligent beings that, that kind of um, know and understand me in ways that nobody else does. Um, and I feel like that's, uh, <laughs> that's Billy's relationship with Flip. And um, in case anybody is afraid, Phil, Flip is not harmed or he doesn't die. Because <laughs> that's always my, I mean that's always my first trigger question if I if I'm going to see a movie I'm like is a dog going to die? Because if absolutely. it is I'm not seeing it. <laughs> I I do wish I knew going into the book that that flip was going to be okay. <laughs> I know it's not even it's not even a good suspense thing. I mean if to to like hold out the life of a dog as a suspense no you should know from the beginning. It's all going to be fine for the dog. I mean, everybody else, it's up in the air, but the dog can't be touched. It's wild. And then, of course, having Billy connect with Cammy um, brings up so many questions for him. Um, very much about what does it mean to be related to someone? It's a it's as a big personal question for me um, as as an adoptee. Uh, I grew up with un, um, in a, in a closed adoption, so I didn't know anything about my biological parents. Mm. Um, and in my twenties, I I um, searched for my adoptive or my, my my biological parents and um, made a connection with my uh, biological father. Um, who I mentioned in 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 the um, in the acknowledgments, yeah. um, but I mean, in some ways, this was a kind of a fictionalized way for me to work through some of that, some of the emotions and some of the process of of um, the you know just the weird experience of getting to know someone who's your parent who you've never met before, um, and all of the kind of amazing connections and the um, frustrating misunderstandings that come along with that. Hmm. It, Billy kind of recognizes some characteristics in Cammy that, that he has and that his mother has. Um, did that happen to you? Did you oh yeah, absolutely. Um, wow. um, well, I mean, one of the things that was that was eerie was um even though we'd we'd never met each other uh facial expressions were really similar um mm -hmm. we had a we have a similar laugh um and that that's actually you know like a, a a detail in the in the novel um is that billy is is partially convinced that he's related to cammy because her her laugh sounds so much like his mother's laugh um, and, you know, e even things like, um, the sound, uh, my kids were freaked out because, um, the sound of my bio dad's snoring was the same sound that I make. Um, so it's these, it's, it's, the, it's things that you don't expect. Um, and I think that people, you know, um, who grow up with their, with, you know, with their biological parents, um, don't 
are, are not aware of all of the ways in which um, there's this mirroring going on um, as you're growing up mm. um, and, and that exists in, you know, it's sort of built into your DNA. It's not something that you're, that you're like consciously copying. Right. It's, it's there. And, and, and so it goes back the other way too, of course, that um, Billy thinks about his mother and what he may or may not have inherited from her. Right. Right. Um, I think, I think it's safe to say that uh, Billy's mom is, is really not a nice person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That seems um, justified. <laughs> right. I mean, she's she's on the sociopath spectrum somewhere. Um, and uh, there are definitely, I mean, I, I think um, there's definitely a big question in Billy's mind and in, 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 the, in the sort of the questions of the novel is like, how much do we inherit and how much can we escape sort of the the destiny of genetics and the destiny of the way that we were raised um, to become sort of our own invention. And I feel like that's what the, the, that's sort of what the arc of the book is, 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 is the idea that Billy finally decides to make the choice to try to become his own invention, to try to get out of both nature and nurture in some ways. Mm. Yeah. Um, I guess that's, I'd like to think that's a hopeful idea. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that we are somehow in control that, of our own destinies. Yeah, that, that like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not making any super big claims for free will, but I like that, <laughs> you know, there's, there, there might be some glimmers of it still. And, and, and along those lines, of course, there, there's also talk about, especially among uh, Billy and Cami, the idea of freedom in that you don't want to be indebted to someone. You don't want someone, quote unquote, owning you. Right. Right. Um, I mean, the last week has been has been hard for people who were adopted, I think, just because of the... Mm. Um, the Supreme Court, uh, I, it's not a ruling, but I, you know what it is, you know, yeah. the, the leak that, that was made and where, where um, there's a, there's a line about the availability of um, adoptable infants and the supply. I mean, I think, I think, I think the word that's yep. used is supply. Yes. Um, and it really makes you feel like a product. Um, and I feel like in this book, Cami and um, her cohort, I'm, I'm not going to say more than that, mm -hmm. are, are definitely um, products that are being bought and sold. So there's a, there's an element of human trafficking in, in, the, in the novel that I think um, for some reason is particularly timely right now. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about Billy's education. He's clearly an autodidact. Um, speaks many right. languages. Yeah, I mean, he's... Um, 
he's somebody that um, has never had any formal education at all. Um, and he, um, at the same time, is one of as I think as a kid was one of those one of those people that was just constantly hungry to learn, um, and he has a he has a friend who goes to school from time to time, and he's really jealous of the of the of the of the idea of being able to go to school, um, and I feel like um, there are just little grace notes throughout of watching Billy's attempts at. Um, being educated, attempts at um, sort of the the touchstone of learning is 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 so real for him, mm-hmm. and I, I I love his like sort of little rituals of doing the crossword puzzle and the Sudoku and yep. you know the yep. things that um, that give him just a glimmer of access to an intellectual life. Um, and, um, I'm glad, I'm so glad that you noticed that it, because it, 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 it was like something that really moved me. Yeah. Um, that, that desire, um, to be an educated person. And it's, Again, I mean, I guess that that's against the backdrop of this world in which knowledge and um, truth and facts have been so discounted and completely yes. cast aside, which, you know, I mean, along with along with newspapers, Maris, that's the other thing that we're losing is is any kind of respect for um, knowing things mm-hmm. for knowledge and um uh, education. I mean, we're, we're, we're being taught, oh, that it's education is all sort of, um, indoctrination and and politics. And, you know, the the joy of, of learning is being lost in the joy of banning books. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. I'm going to change up the topic for a second before I ask you for book recommendations. Dan, tell me about writing a minor character who is a chimpanzee? Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil too much. <laughs> but okay. um, that that uh, came out of a writing exercise um, <laughs> that I, I had start. I had started writing it as a story, and it was. It, it just started out with a guy walking into a room, um, and a chimpanzee is sitting in in a in a high back chair smoking a blunt. Um, and I thought I was going to write it as like a short short for like smoke long quarterly or something. And then it somehow got into the novel and became this huge sort of, um, this huge sort of scene, um, that also brought in stuff about, um, animal experimentation and, um, DNA and, um, growing organs growing human organs in uh, other species and, and all, all this stuff that is sort of also floating out there halfway between our real life and, and science fiction, um, but becoming more real life every day. Um, sadly, the guy that got a, um, that got a, a, a pig heart uh, transplant yeah. um, died of a pig flu. 
So there's that. And, and as a side note, of course, I love the observation that if you're talking about the novel in which clones are, are real, or kids in boarding school realize that they are clones made for organ harvesting. So right. why don't they, why do they need a private school education? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm really, I, I might have to go back and reread Never Let Me Go because that shook me. Um, right, right. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, I was thinking a lot about, you know, as I'm writing a dystopic novel, I'm re reading a lot, a lot of, and I'm thinking about all my favorite uh, dystopias, tra-la, um, and Never Let Me Go just was, seemed like it was, it was hanging over the book to some extent. So I had to, I had to mm -hmm. name check it just so that people knew. Yeah, I know that's out there. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, so, so what other books would you recommend? Okay, can I do something really, um, a little, like a little bit of nepotism? Um, and, you know, because this is a, you know, it's a, this is a, this is a novel about fathers and, and, and children. I just want to plug the fact that um, my son just published his first book, um, it's with Princeton University Press and it's called Habitats of the World, a field guide for birders, naturalists, and ecologists. Amazing. Um, and so I think if you happen to be interested in um, the uh, ecology and ecosystems of the world, this would be a good book for you to get. And uh, my son's name is Phil Sean, C-H-A-O-N. Um, I'd also like to talk a little bit about um, this wonderful writer named Usman Malik, um, M-A-L-I-K, um, who just pub who published a book called Midnight Doorways, Fables from Pakistan. Um, he has been all over the horror community for a few years now. Um, he's just doing these kinds of stories that feel both really timely um, and really timeless. Um, they're bringing in... Uh, a, a kind of fantasy that I think um, feels really fresh because it's it's drawing on a it, it's drawing on a set of um, mythologies that I, I that American readers at least are probably not as familiar with, um, and it's uh, it's also a gorgeous book with um, with beautiful sort of uh, fairy tale like. Uh, illustrations in it um and it's it, it, i i think people that like horror or that like fantasy would love these stories and um i don't think it, i don't feel like it's gotten quite as much uh, attention maybe be, I, I don't it's not it's not published by uh by um, american publisher yet so ah all right then we'll have to look for that yeah um and then uh I've also been really, really involved in um, the Candy House, uh, the Jennifer Egan mm -hmm. book. Um, I think it's I think it's fine to read the Candy House on its own, um, but um, as somebody that really loved a visit from the Goon Squad and taught that book, I have gone down the rabbit hole of 
like reading them both together and I'm, not, I'm like making an appendix where, oh, this character appears here and then, they, then they're, they're in this year. And so like, because there's all these different cross uh, references to characters that appear in both the Candy House and A Visit from the Goon Squad. And I feel like they're like deeply interconnected. And um, so I've gone like full on nerd. I've got like appendixes, like maps, um, timelines, and um, to me, that's a great time. That sounds like the Jennifer Egan cinematic universe. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Dan, thank you so much. Again, the, the new novel is called Sleepwalk. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review. And check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.